Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, church. Uh, I'll join the chorus uh, saying Happy Mother's Day to all the mamas out there. Um, you know, to my own mom, who I think uh, will be dialing in if she hasn't already this morning. Uh, Happy Mother's Day to my wife, uh, who I think was at the last service. Happy Mother's Day. And my sister and all women in between and all the people that are out there uh, in our church beyond who might be listening online, on the rooftop, wherever you may be. Uh, we honor you for your ministry uh, and for everything that you do. And I want to I wanna kind of take the next step in the series that we're in, which is called Dancing on Eggshells. And the way that we define that is gliding gracefully on delicate subjects regardless of the crunch. Uh, and we're going to be talking about parenting, okay, for the next couple of weeks. And we're going to start today. And uh, my hope is that uh, we'll be in Psalm 78. If you have a Bible app or Bible uh, and like to get it open and talk about uh, parenting, and we're going to do a lot of the pragmatic kind of stuff next week on the, on the parenting front, but if you, if you don't get kind of the big foundation of it, the real target or the real aim of it, then um, you really end up missing the entire goal, the point, and almost anything you do technique-wise kind of becomes malpractice of parenting. Uh, the Bible uh, gives us some terrific wisdom, and on the other side of it, you've got the culture who seems to be a factory of foolishness on the other side. Uh, I've noticed over the last 10 years or so a trend, a twofold trend. One is that younger people are finding reasons why they're having a lot more caution about wanting to have kids themselves because the root question really seems to be something to the effect of, hey, with the world going downhill the way it is, uh, is it right of somebody to bring a child into this world? Uh, which is a very sad, cynical kind of way to look at it. And the irony is a lot of people at that age were born into kind of the era when, uh, or just before 2000, around 2000, when y everybody thought Y2K was going to end the world as we knew it. Uh, but the parents persevered, and so here they are. And so whether it's for, you know, reasons like climate change or whatever, a lot of young people have a lot of anxiety about that. And, and so they're, okay, are we going to go ahead and have kids? Then you have uh, the other side of it, which is that parents have, uh, to be very uh, blunt about it, regret about having kids. I read a, a, an article a few years ago. It was entitled, Inside the Growing Movement of Women Who Wish They'd Never Had Kids. Rather cynical, kind of sad, isn't it? Uh, it kind of got, that movement got its, its start maybe 10 or 12 years ago. There was a woman named Corinne Mayer. Uh, she was French, writer, psychoanalyst, mom of two. Um, and she wrote a book called <laughs> No Kids, 40 Reasons Not to Have Children. Okay, now you can, you can guess why we didn't have her come speak today at, at, at New Vintage. Um, and she says in the book that uh, part of her regret was this. She says, quote, having to adopt the idiot language of children and inevitably being disappointed by one's offspring. The book was described by reviewers as selfish and a cathartic display that was incredibly distasteful. Okay? At least I got that part right. A couple years later, um, there was um, uh, another gal who wrote uh, in the Daily Mail in 2013 that having her two children was the biggest regret of her life, noting that she had diligently loved and cared for both, but, quote, I know my life would be much happier and more fulfilled without children. In Germany, then, a couple of years after that, a novelist by the name of Sarah Fisher writes a book called The Mother Bliss Lie, Regretting Motherhood, okay? Uh, and so this just goes on and on and on, and then it starts to make its way over from Europe into the United States, 
And it takes root, and where every idea takes root eventually, in social media circles. So you can go on to Quora, you can go on to Reddit, you can even go on to Facebook, and there's a Facebook group called I Regret Having Children, where you can pool your, your uh, cynicism with the best of them right there in there. Now, I want to just kind of pause and go, okay, what is that? What's that about? Uh, what, what did both of those trends say? Both the, I'm not sure I want to bring a kid into a world like this, and the, uh, why did I bring a kid into the world when I could have just kind of enjoyed it for myself? What, what do those tell us about the way that parents are seeing the task and the calling of parenting? It tells us a great deal. And I'm thankful to the Bible for rescuing us from ourselves on this one. Because here's something that parents of all kinds need to hear. And if you're a kid, you need to hear this too. Okay? Here it is. Ready? Deep, profound thought. Parenting is not about us. There you go. Let's stand and sing. Or, number two, you might be going as a parent, well, that's right, it's about our kids. It's not about them either. Ultimately, parenting is about God. Your kids were his kids first. He knit them together in their mom's womb. He knew their thoughts before they ever had one. So what we're doing as parents, our task is not fundamentally designed for our own happiness. The task of parenting is a divine calling to help raise children into adults that have been transformed and matured into the likeness of Jesus. So the task of it is not, for instance, for me, for my kids to satisfy my, my ego or meet my own emotional needs or anything like that, and vice versa. If you're a kid, your parents' job is not fundamentally to fund the life you've always wanted. It's not that, right? But if those are the dominant narratives, right, those are the stories that we tell, my parents are here to meet my needs, to fund the life that I've always wanted, then when your parents can't do that or won't do that, then you grow up disappointed thinking that your parents are abject failures as parents because they didn't fund the life you've always wanted, blah, blah, blah. On the other side, right, you got parents who think, okay, my kid's here to make me happy. Uh, they're here to, uh, they're, the, the path that they're going to be on based on all my friends' Instagram accounts is that when I look at that, I, I think my kids show up here on this earth they're going to be perfectly healthy. They're going to have great hair and straight teeth and be perfectly well-adjusted. They're going to go on to Harvard Law School, make millions of dollars, and retire me by the time I'm 50. And if that's what you think, then all of a sudden now, if your kid doesn't turn out that way, you think you got a raw deal, and you start writing articles like 40 Reasons Why I Regret Having Kids. It's not because having kids is something you should regret. It's because you were playing baseball on a, on, a, on a hockey rink. You were playing the game on a field that you were never supposed to play on. You misunderstood the whole reason for it, the whole calling of it, what God does in the lives of kids through their parents, what he does to parents in, in, through the lives of their kids and the miracle of having kids and the beauty of what God produces in that relationship. You miss that, right? then yes, it's easy to find yourself resentful, bitter, and then produce a foul spiritual climate that can take over the home. So when we don't understand parenting's purpose, the process can become fairly tedious. But when we realize that having kids really ultimately isn't about us, but rather about God, then the trials and the sacrifices of parenting 
are more easily born. We can see the purpose behind the difficulty, and we can remind ourselves that this ultimately isn't about me. The issue then is, not no, is no longer about how proud my children make me. It's about how faithful I've been to discharge the calling that God has given to me. Um, before I say anything else, parents in the house, I get the struggle. I get it. You're tired. You're broke. You're whatever. Okay, I've been there. When we had little kids, little toddlers, I was so tired on one Sunday, I literally lost the ability to read. That's how tired I was. I was so tired that I was standing up in front of 2,500 people preaching, and I looked down, and I could not make sense of the words on the page. That's a bad place to be. I can remember Sunday after Sunday, I had a young wife who was very extroverted, just like I am. We love being around people, but our kids not behaving well in restaurants really bothered me. She'd want to go out afterwards. And so we would go, and I was already a little tired, so I was probably a little feisty and cranky, and we'd go out to restaurants, and we would feel embarrassed because our kids, you know, threw fits through the whole meal or whatever, and, and you couldn't, when you're in my role, you can't, like, beat your kids in public. You have to do that in private. So <laughs> just, I'm just kidding, sort of. So we, 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 get, we get to that whole thing, and, and then it's like they bring the check, and it's like insult to injury. It's like, we just paid, like, 70 bucks for that experience. Why do we do that? We, we, we paid for the right to be embarrassed in public, uh, and then, you know, that led to an argument in the afternoon, and we were tired and, and, and everything, and, and it was just one of those things. And I tell young parents all the time, if you come to me for pre-parenting counseling, I'm going to tell you two things. One, you're going to hear today, it's not about you, it's about what God is going to do in you for your kids and for you through the act of parenting. It is not about happiness, it's about holiness. You're going to hear me say that, and then I'm going to tell you, you are going to be tired in ways you can't possibly fathom. Like, for six years, you're going to be tired, okay? If you're lucky, you can end in six years. But that all-nighter, remember that all-nighter you pulled in college with your friends? Dude, you're going to do that for six years. Like, you're going to be so tired, you're going to pray that God would end your life just so you can sleep. You know, you're going to be so tired. And I said, but if, if you come in with the right foundation and you're doing it for the right reasons, what you're going to realize is that God is doing a work in you. And you're becoming more and more like Jesus through the experience of needing to learn things that parenting uniquely teaches you. Tim Spivey at age 24, pre-kids, married but no kids, on an airplane, is a different guy than Tim Spivey at 45 with an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old, and an 11-year-old on an airplane. When I was young, I saw a screaming baby as an intrusion upon my silence. I was having a quiet moment. I didn't have toddlers of my own to scream at me yet. So when their kid was going nuts, I assumed, well, you know, bad parents, you know, uh, negligent parents. You know, when I'm a parent, my kids will be perfect on the plane. In fact, they're going to pray the whole flight. Everybody, they're just going to sit in prayer. They're going to be there. Uh, everything's going to be perfect, right? Well, of course, you know, you, you just, you know, uh, now it's, it's uh, people's kids that cry on the plane. And I'm actually a guy you would want near your kid. Uh, I'm more patient now uh, because, you know, and I, two things changed that. One was the Bose earphones that canceled noise. That helped. The other one was I've become a more patient person. 
because I've had a kid scream on an airplane from Dallas to New York or from San Diego to Phoenix or whatever. Now, you hope it's not a trip to Europe, but if I can tell that you're, you're trying and you need help, I will help you. I do not look at, these, at parents with judgment or condemnation anymore. I look with empathy. I think almost fondly back to the days when we too suffered coast to coast and paid an obscene amount of money for that privilege and parents rolling their eyes at us and doing all those things, right? How did that happen? Because through the task of parenting, God has made me a more patient person. He just has. My wife will testify to that. Tim is still not probably the most patient person on earth, but I'm miles ahead of where I was before because I learned the act of being patient and bearing with kids, pouring yourself out for somebody in a way that even marriage doesn't teach you because an adult can reciprocate. A baby can't reciprocate. They're a big ball of need with a good-smelling head. That's it. They're a big ball of need. They, they do nothing really to, other than occasionally give you a gummy smile. They give you nothing. They cost you a lot of money. Um, they, they do all that, but that begins the process of learning how to do it. And you know what? It makes you a better husband, too, because now you're learning how to serve somebody who can't repay you, which makes it very easy to serve somebody who can. It just does. And so, as you're going through this, you realize the transformation that's going on, although it's happening in my child as I'm raising him in the way of the Lord, is also happening in me. And so, the older I get, the more mature I get, in part because I have that experience. So, back to the main episode. To pin your joys and hopes, parents, on the response of any given sinner is a mistake. To pin your hopes and dreams to a toddler is stupid, I guess is the word I'm looking for. That is insane. A toddler um, has just barely learned how to use the toilet, if you're lucky. Um, they, 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 they have very little to offer you. So when you, you take a two-year-old or a three-year-old and you get frustrated or resentful because they're not giving you what you feel like you need, are they the problem? I'm going to suggest to you that whether it's a kid uh, who thinks that the parent's job is something other than what it is or whether it's a parent who thinks the kid, their role is different than it actually is, that those false kind of stories or narratives uh, are what cause a lot of the problems in homes. Character is formed through imitation and habits, ultimately. And if parents were to spend as much time and energy and resources on character formation as we do on our kids' athletic prowess, musical ability, and looks, we might be surprised at the results. It's not all on the parents. Um, you know, I, I want to be clear about that. I'll talk more about that next week. But, but, you know, God is the father in the parable of the prodigal son, and even he's got prodigal. Uh, so that, that issue of, oh, you know, my kids are not walking with the Lord the way I wish. It's all got to be all my fault. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Your kid has their own walk with the Lord. But parenting at, at its core is about holiness. It is not about happiness for either us or the kids. But as is the case with marriage, when we aim for holiness, happiness is thrown in. When we aim for happiness, we typically end up with emptiness. So parenting is going to help you become more like Jesus. There's an author by the name of Rachel Cusk, and she, was, uh, she has a really funny memoir that she writes about talking about raising a colicky baby. And, um, 
And so if you've ever seen a colicky baby that just cries all the time, all the time, all the time, um, she goes through and, and talks about how miserable it is. But then she says this. She says, with every cry, she has tutored me in what is plain and hard, that my affection, my silly entertainments, my doting hours, the particular self I tried to bring to my care of her have been as superfluous as my fury and despair. That she has stopped crying, I take as an indication that she judges my training to have been successful and the rank of mother attained, a signal that we can now cautiously get on with the business of living together. She's saying exactly what I said. She goes, I, I take it the fact that my baby stopped crying means God has just decided that I don't need any more of that punishment that I've learned my lesson, right? She's getting it slowly. Patience has been cultivated. God's doing something in my life. If we depend on our children for happiness, we cannot parent them in a way that honors God. However, if we want him to do so, God will shape us sinners into parents who will declare his glory in every aspect of life. Psalm 78, 1 to 8 says this, My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, the wonders he's done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded to our ancestors to teach their children. So you get, get what he's saying? You take the honors and the glory of God and you pass it on to the next generation. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. Hmm. And they, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but they would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. And then for 64 verses after that, all he does is recount the great things that God has done. And he says, the reason we tell these to our kids is so they don't turn into a rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. And so that faithfulness comes from uh, being able to, uh, to, from hearing the stories of God, how he has worked in history. Now, all of us parents, we, we, we usually tell our kids bedtime stories. Um, what, what the Scripture here is trying to tell us is that the stories that you tell are lifetime stories. They're not bedtime. Bedtime at our house, we would either tell them Bible stories or I would, get, I would ask my kids to pick a grade. And they'd pick a grade, and I would tell them a story from that grade when I was in. So usually it was whatever grade they were in at the time. Uh, fourth grade, okay, fourth grade. I had Mrs. Graff. You know what? Let me tell you about the, de- the, the day of the great flashcard incident. And then it would be a story about, you know, bu- sometimes it's bullying or high-handled a uh, particular problem with somebody or whatever and try to teach them that way. But whether it was a, an overt Bible story, or whether it was a story like that, the prism through which that story was told was the gospel. It was the declarations of the great things that God had done. So I didn't always make myself the hero or the goat of the story. It's here's how I handled this the wrong way. Here's how I handled this the right way. Here's how Jesus would want me to handle this. And so when they're going through it, they're hearing these stories through the prism of the gospel and the great things that God has done. Right? That's a bedtime story, but they really become lifetime stories. So every minute of every day, parents, this is meant to give you a sense of purpose, not to make you feel afraid or nervous. 
but <laughs> you're telling a story at all times. Right now, you're telling a story by your presence here. You're saying something to your kids. You're saying uh, church matters. You're saying uh, our family cares about God, about spiritual things. You're saying that through your actions. So you say it with your words, but you also say it with your actions at the same time. Storytelling is a time-honored biblical tradition. So we just gave you one, Psalm 78. There's a whole bunch of psalms that they're called the historical psalms. All they do is tell the stories of things God has done, one after another in long form. Jesus then comes along. He tells stories. He tells parables. He'll quote the Old Testament and say, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. And then the church in Acts comes along and they tell the story of Jesus. And then the church comes along and tells the story of the Christians in Acts and all the, the heroes of faith and all those kinds of things. We're a storytelling people with words. But more importantly, the more important story is told through the actions of those who claim to follow Jesus. And so we here at New Vantage, we tell the story of Jesus every week in word. We also take communion. That's a version of storytelling. Baptism, that's a version of storytelling. It's a telling the story of the redemption story of Christ and what he has done and how he makes things that were dead live again and all that stuff. That, that's a part of the story. So these two little boogers uh, on the screen, that's me and my sister. Uh, about 1978, I think it was. Look at that couch we're sitting on. It was a cream colored, as I recall, with like a brown flowers with like red and orange and yellow, uh, like bad Houston Astro or old Padre colors. Um, so these two little boogers are, are born. We're probably three and four. So Gene and Sheila Spivey, they get a choice. What are we going to do with these two? What do we want them, what do we want our family to be about? So, uh, as early as I can remember, uh, in fact, I, I'm told <laughs> I was born on a Tuesday night, and I was at church Sunday. That's old school right there. Um, nowadays, you know, we wait a year before we bring them to church because we don't want them to get sick. Uh, back then, it was like more, it's just whatever, man. Whatever happens, happens. You're going to church, you know, <laughs> they take you, right? But they were trying to set a course. And when, you, when, when, when the day comes when my parents go home to glory, I'm going to think about life in our house growing up from this era. And the pictures in my mind will be something like this. I remember my dad sitting in his recliner almost every morning reading his Bible. I remember my mom sitting at the little secretary's desk near the front door and filling out her church check on Saturday nights before church. Uh, I remember getting up and going with my dad very early, even not much older than this, actually, and helping set up rows of chairs. And we would get home. We were the last people to leave every single Sunday, too. And I don't remember ever hearing them gasp or sigh or go, ugh, we got to go to church. Uh, why can't somebody else do this? Uh, none of that. They played like amateurs in the sense of they did it joyfully for the love of the game. They didn't play it like uptight, performance-oriented athletes. They played like kids in the yard playing stickball. It was fun. It was recreational. Now, all of that told stories. 
they took their storytelling seriously, not just with their mouths, but with their lives. My grandmother, Grace, my mom's mom, grew up uh, where she was, she was married to a man who was very antagonistic toward the faith, like to the point of, uh, he was a good man, he was always kind to me, but did not care for Christians whatsoever, to the point that he would tell her on occasion, if you go to church, don't come home. Like that kind of stuff. I mean, antagonistic, right? So she never had a driver's license in her whole life. She died in her 70s, late 70s, and ended up walking my mom and her uh, brother to church every Sunday. And it was not a short walk. It was a fairly long walk. It would be like walking from here to maybe Rock and Jens, okay? And she would walk in there every single Sunday. Didn't have a car. And that told a story. What story did it tell? God matters. Church matters. The Bible matters. That even if somebody confronts you and persecutes you for your faith, you keep walking anyway. Right? Those tell a story. So the question then becomes, when, when the psalmist is saying to them, okay, you keep telling these stories, I, I do think he's he clearly, because they rattle off 64 verses of stories right after this, but he also has something else in mind, and that is we're going to keep telling these stories because what they did and what they said said something about God. Our lives tell our story, and they tell his. So in Deuteronomy 6, he said, uh, which says, that, um, we'll read it here in a second, but it's like the picture is of a kid who's going, why are we doing this? What are we doing here, and why are we doing this? Here's what it says. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 20 to 25. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws of the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our, Lord, before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders great and terrible in Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord God commanded us to obey all these decrees and fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we're careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. He says, explain it to them when they ask you, why are we doing this? You know what you don't do? Oh, if you don't want to go, don't worry about it then. We'll stay home today. Says, so tell them why you do it and then do it right? Child-centered world goes, oh, you don't want to go today? Okay, we won't go then. Oh, you don't want to obey Christ in this aspect of your life? That's fine, then don't. See, when going back to the beginning of the sermon, okay, the messages that we give our kids, and if you were to ask me, okay, Tim, what what message, what's the primary, if you were going to put in a sentence what you think parents teach their kids through the lives that they live, what would it be? And I would say, writ large, the big message that most parents try to communicate to their kid is, you are the most important thing in the world. Now, on the surface, that might sound very Hallmark-worthy. Here's the problem. They're not. That's one problem, right? And the problem is kids get older. And when you raise a kid to think they're the most important thing in the world, then guess what? They become an adult who thinks they're the most important thing in the world. And they marry somebody, and they still think they're the most important thing in the world. 
And they raise kids then, and they struggle as a parent because they don't know how to pour themselves out because they were raised to think they're the most important thing in the world. And you know what else? If they think they're the most important thing in the world, you know who's not? God. Our children will never worship a God we have taught them is beneath them. Let me say that again. Our children will not worship a God we have taught them is beneath them. Okay? So this whole thing where we do this. So Deuteronomy says, look, when they ask you, why are we doing this? Why do we live our lives this way? What's the point? Tell them. The story of redemption and the gospel forms then the prism through which we live our lives. The answer to every question goes through that prism. Dad, why do we have to go to church? Mom, why can't we buy that? Dad, why are you make us get up early and do this? Dad, why do you read your Bible? Mom, why do you pray so much? Tell them. And don't stop doing it because they're critical of it. Your job is not to be their best friend. Your job is to be their parent. Dad, why do we have to go to church? Well, because of what God has done. So we give him the glory and we give him the praise. And that becomes something we do early. Mom, why can't we buy that? Because it's not our money. It's God's. And we want to honor him with it first. And so if we have money left over and we think that that's something that that we want to do, we'll do it. But right now we can't afford it. Because, well, then why don't we just not give to God? Well, because he comes first. That's why. And why does he? Because he's the most important. Because he provided everything that we have. Uh, Dad, why do you read your Bible? Because I like to hear all of, all of the great things that God has done in the past so I can recognize it now. Mom, why do you pray so much? Well, because that's what God, because of what God has done. Uh, because uh, when Jesus died, he made it possible for me to be able to approach God. And if you think about it, what's more amazing and what's a better use of time than to be able to talk directly to God? Tell them why. Tell them why. You know, um, <laughs> uh, we were always first and last to church. We still are. Our family's rolling three deep today, even on Mother's Day, you know, and it's, it's awesome. You know, when we want to take a trip, uh, our kids often don't want to go because it means they'd have to miss church. That's awesome. You know, it hadn't always been that way. I wish I could say it was, and I'm not sure it'll always stay that way. I hope it does. But at the same time, it's like what you hope is that they've seen the story told with word. They've experienced it because they're walking, we're making them walk it with us. They haven't always felt that way. I know that. But at the same time, what we're trying to communicate to them is God comes first. Now, we'll talk about this later, but your kids aren't even second. Okay, biblically, they're third. Your marriage comes before your kids. We'll talk about that when the time comes. But when my mom and dad helped me understand that, that when my dad, I remember these conversations, that they would tell me, hey, and my, and my wife testifies the same thing. Her parents said the same thing to her. You know what, guys? We love you. But your mom comes first. My relationship to your mom comes first. You know why? Because you're going to grow up and leave. And I'm still going to be married to her. And guess what? Before you were here, I made a promise to that woman that I was going to be one flesh with her forever. So I am one flesh with her. You are probably going to go spend all my money and then leave me behind. Okay? I hope, I hope that's not the case. But if it does, you know what? 50 years from now, I'm still going to be married to this woman. And I'm still going to be loving this woman, pouring myself out for this woman, and honoring her the way that I promised God I would do. And I'll do the same thing with you. But I just need you to understand, the relationship that we have, you're, you're 2B. Okay? You're 2B. Now, 
You would think, well, that will make kids sad. No, 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 no. That certainly hadn't been our experience. Um, our experience is that when kids feel a security in the marriage, the marriage is sound and strong, that adds confidence to the kid, and they love it. Uh, it doesn't mean you tell your kid, well, it don't matter to me. That's not, that's not it. It's not that. It's just you're not God, and you're not your mother. They know those two things, I hope. And if not, then I'll tell them. You're not God, and you're not your mother. And now you're to be, you're right there. I'd do almost anything for you. Except I'm not leaving your mom. I'm not going to dishonor your mom for you. And I'm not going to put you above God. And I pray that you, as a child of God, will understand that that's what God has called me to do. And the best favor I can do for you is help you understand that it's okay to be a failure in the world's eyes as long as you're a success in the eyes of God. And that if you get the applause of heaven, that's the one you really want. Okay? And that, you know, uh, that our family is about different things than a lot of people's families are. Uh, we're not fundamentally about chasing cars and houses and things like that. We're oriented in a different direction. Uh, we're not fundamentally about, um, you know, trying to capture as much of our, our time and consuming stuff from the church as we are and trying to do the best we can to live our lives out on behalf of God's people. That's who we are. And that's who God calls us all to be, by the way. That's not just pastors, families. That's everybody. The cross is for everyone. The cross is for everybody. So I guess let me ask you this question this morning. What story are you telling? What story is your life telling? Because our, our kids will not worship a God we teach them is beneath them. We must tell our children the mighty works of God with our words, with our lives. I think some of us really want to, our kids to live such a pain-free, privileged life that God might even be unnecessary to them and that heaven would be a threat to their standard of living almost, you know? That, that, and that's not really what God wants. Uh, he wants us to teach them why we do the things that we do and to do them. We're not here to try to keep them from experiencing discomfort or to give them every opportunity for worldly success. He chose us to be those who would not fail to tell them the righteous acts of God. An old New Testament professor, Ron Tyler, he used to tell this story about a mom who called him and was angry about... Uh, about, a, about him, her son getting an F in his class. And so she calls him and picks up the phone and says, hey, I want to know why you gave my son an F. And he just says, because I couldn't give him a G. And he hangs up the phone. <laughs> I thought to myself, I was like, you know what, good for you, man. But I also, he, his point was, why is she calling me? Like, why didn't the kid even, the kid had never bothered to call him. And say, hey, what's the deal with my grade? Is there something I can do to get it up or whatever, right? But there's that desire to keep, hey, discomfort is here. Time to pay the piper for a semester spent in bed and then weekend frivolity. So here comes a report card, and now we're going to try and rescue them from it, okay? So one of the best things you can do as parents is teach them when they crash and burn at something, teach them why. Not in a condescending jerk way, but in a biblical way. Remember, 
you know, and, and, and pastor them. Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, a little bit earlier, God invites us to tell a better story. Here it is, 6, 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Okay, that's all fine. What, what he's saying is do it all the time. It doesn't mean like when you start walking down Grand Avenue, okay, we're walking on the road, we have to stop and tell a story now. It's not saying that. It's saying you do it everywhere you go. You, you make sure that th those kids are learning it. Now, if you're, if you're either, A, coming to the epiphany as a parent that, hey, I haven't done a lot of that and I need to do better, don't despair. Take it. I mean, the gospel is, is full of grace. Then start today. Tell the stories today. Start living a different story today. If you're a kid and you go, my, my parents aren't Christians or whatever, then learn from that and say, okay, you know what? As for me and my house going forward, okay, I will serve the Lord. My kids will serve the Lord. My future spouse will serve the Lord. I'm not marrying somebody who isn't committed to the same things. Um, these women on this next slide, some high-powered women. It was funny. I was telling uh, Eva Keener on the lobby, I was looking around our lobby at the women we've got in this church. I mean, we've got some high-powered, like, godly women in this place. Pretty easy to say Happy Mother's Day and, and just keep going boom, 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 and just look at uh, uh, the women of our church with great admiration. Almost do a woman, just boom, 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 boom. Those five, incredible. On the left, that's my mother-in-law, Sherry uh, Lee Woodward, who gave me the gift of her daughter, who's just to the right, um, my wife, Emily, and that's my mom in the middle. That's Mary. Uh, that's uh, my brother-in-law's mom, and then that's my sister on the far right. All of them tell the stories in their own way. They tell it differently. My mother-in-law, missionary, my wife, pastor's wife, my mom, minister's wife, but also just godly woman, uh, elder's wife from the church, Mary, brilliant educator, fantastic educator, uh, my sister who is just a great mom to her, her autistic son and, and daughter. They all tell the story in a different way, but they tell it. So, parents, can we just commit to saying to our kids, uh, and if they're, whether they're little or older, kids, listen, in our house, we're going to put the Lord first in every aspect of our life. If you had a person living in your house all the time, and they were to look at your life you know, week after week, month after month, year after year, what story would they say your life is telling? Because you actually already do. If you have kids, you got somebody in that camp. They're seeing it. If you have the guts, ask your kids. Kids, here's a sheet of paper. In one sentence, what story does our family's life tell? What's our family about? And then... Step back and wait for the answer. And whatever the answer is, don't, don't, don't get discouraged by it or whatever. But listen, ask your spouse. Be honest with yourself. Be prayerful with yourself and ask yourself, what story are we telling? Because our kids will not worship a God we teach them is beneath them. This time we're going to take communion.
and this is a time we tell the story every week. We've got, you should have gotten a little bag with the elements on the inside. Um, and if you didn't and you would like the elements, just put your hand in the air. We've got some ushers that are coming around. And while I want you to, all of our moms to have a blessed day, I also want us to take this opportunity to tell this story. And we do this on a weekly basis here. The bread and the cup represents the body and the blood of Jesus. And so today, in Psalm 78, we say, we will not hide these from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he's done. There is no greater wonder that God has ever done than the sending of Jesus Christ to die for the sins of the world and to show us how to live out the story of the gospel. So with that in mind, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, with bread and cup now, we say that we love you. We say we're committed to you. We're committed to telling the story of Jesus to our kids and to the next generation and the generation after and the generation after. So now, Father, as we take bread and cup, we say that we love you and we worship you and adore you today. Message. And so, Father, we love you and we lift this time up to you. We will not hide from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, your power, and the wonders you have done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.